ASO Radio where you are family. I'm Rion and if you have missed anything on the Workday Drive for the week of the 23rd of November, well, here's some best bits for you. Selu Khadi from The Total Shutdown spoke to us about a new campaign running at the State Theatre about 16 days of activism. Okay, so Radio, where you are family, I'm Rion and I am talking to Selekhari Mompani from the Total Shutdown. Thank you very much. Thank you. And this is, you know, this is quite interesting while, why you're here. It's all about like a 16 days of activism thing happening. It is. It is a, a tricky time of the year for many activists, for many organizations, because there is a contentious relationship to this idea of 16 days of activism. You have a situation where throughout the year, uh, survivors of violence uh, are struggling uh, through police processes, reporting processes, for example, that are failing them. And then you have this time of the year where there's this highlight around violence, um, gender-based violence, violence against women, and uh, being encouraged to report, to speak out. But when victims do speak out outside of these 16 days and within these 16 days, uh, they aren't assisted in, in a way that is... Um, truly beneficial for them, for their communities. We have all kinds of stories of struggle. And the total shutdown, uh, which I'm a part of, the, the entire point of the demands, the list of demands, is that they address all of these gaps um, that uh, uh, create these cracks so that victims fall through, that survivors of violence fall through. Now, all of this, it's happening at the State Theatre? Yes. So the Total Shutdown has partnered with the South African State Theatre. And uh, during the 16 Days of Activism, it does then become important, become involved to make a statement, uh, to galvanize people because there is that added benefit of a larger structure like the government and other organizations that shine attention onto uh, these few days. And so we are looking to do activations, public activations, uh, street theater, public interventions around violence. And so we will take the theater work out into the streets. And uh, also through this, we hope to also engage people also in theater as a practice of activism, um, as a practice that doesn't require the audience or participants or people who are there to be highly educated, to understand many things. You can not speak the common language, but a piece of art or theater can educate you and move you. And so we encourage people to join us. Uh, we are open for proposals. These are for people who have a suggestion, particular suggestions, but you don't have to have one. You can just show up. You don't need to be a professional actor. You don't ever have to have been involved in any kind of performance. You just need to be interested in being involved in this activity. And so by Thursday, we are hoping to receive uh, proposals. Um, they can just be, you know, one line of idea. They can be a bit longer. And then on Saturday, we'll host a workshop. And so proposals, our contact person from the total shutdown is Kati uh, Fandenberger. And for the State Theatre, the contact person for proposals is Mamela Nyamza. And uh, I hope that we can put up both of their contacts so that people can mm -hmm. find them outside of the interview. But it's Kati Fandenberger, uh, K-A-T-T-Y dot V-A-N-D-E-N-B-E-R-G-H-E at gmail.com or Mamela, which is M A. M-E-L-A at statetheatre.co.za So I want to come back to where we've been going with this. Now, firstly, it was very interesting. I mean, with, with the total shutdown, um, as an organization, you guys have been calling for 365 days a year, which I completely agree with. But yet now there's a 16-day alignment. How did that happen completely? One has to be strategic. One works with the tools that one has. 
you don't always have a chance to engage in the way radically that you wish to engage in. And you work in the moment, you work in context. And so um, there's a decision to uh, utilize the energy, the attention that is currently here to also uh, problematize this idea of a particular set of days, um, this particular set of days when people are failed throughout the year, uh, women are failed throughout the year. And uh, so it is a, a contradictory. In life, in activism, there are contradictions. And we do our best to work with them, to work around them. You earlier said that it might be kind of a, a strange time of the year to do this. I, I sort of disagree in a way because don't we see at this time of the year with holidays coming up that there's an escalation in in crime towards women? So I think it's the ideal time to actually do this. You are correct. That's a very good point to make. It is an ideal time to have a campaign. Um, that is very true. And we do find that in holiday seasons, uh, also with a, a variety of combinations, including uh, the kind of off-time drinking activities, other social activities that, have, yes, there's, there's a higher risk, uh, higher forms of social contact, just like car accidents. More people on the roads, so you'll have more car accidents. But the, the issue is not uh, having this ideal time of year to highlight uh, these kinds of problems. That's very good. The issue is the kind of uh, uh, difference between the highlight during these 16 days and then what occurs throughout the rest of the oh, year. Yeah. This kind of gap is, um, it's almost as if you're being gaslighted. Yes, uh, there's this attention and uh, we are concerned about this. But then, you know, in your context, wherever you are living, it's so hard for you to get any kind of justice or to get any kind of assistance. And so you're in this context where you're being told that here's support for you. But in reality, where you are, there's very little support for you. This is the problem. That brings me to my next one. You know, if we look at the previous um, kind of campaign that you guys ran, the, the last total, the total shutdown, we saw you guys taking to the streets, which was a very kind of, I want to say aggressive, but it was a very proactive thing to do. It was like, but then you think of arts and it arts to me is more passive kind of, how does this, how's this expression going to happen? How are you going to get this across? Art is very active. The thing about art that makes it so wonderful is that it's very diverse. Uh, there are many different kinds of ways to engage creatively. And so one can do a silent performance, which is very piercing. And one can do something that um, is quite big, is quite loud. Uh, but performance is wonderful because uh, we have a, our cultures have developed so that when someone witnesses the beginning of what they presume is a performance, they stop. They watch. This is very powerful. Um, it can be much more difficult to get people to listen when you just want to speak. But when you enter, when you create this kind of space and you start to enact, uh, people's attention is immediately drawn and they want to know what is going on. And, and the great thing about performance, again, is that you can communicate to people who speak a variety of languages. You don't need to speak one language, particularly when you're using bodies and images, you can make this point and people can understand what you are saying through this visualization. So we, we understand that in many ways in activism and advocacy, uh, art sometimes is taken as a secondary thing. We're doing this and we'll add some art to it. But art is actually a primary vehicle for advocacy, for act activism and a primary vehicle for community engagement and a, a very good vehicle for talking about things that people might otherwise not want to talk about, verbalize, speak about, but perhaps they can watch something about it, write something about it, make something about it and engage uh, in the topic through that way. We had to just refer back again to the march. With the march, men weren't allowed. It was just simply female uh, women taking part. This time around, is men welcome to go do their thing? If I want to come and jump out there and do an impromptu act, is anybody going to pull me over stage? Or Our call still says calling all women and gender non-conforming people. Um, and for the TTS, for total shutdown. But uh, for the state theatre, 
who we are partnering with, uh, they might have their own set of, 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 of forms of participation. And so we also understand that we work in mixed spaces where people organize differently from each other and we do our best to meet each meet each other at where we are. And so perhaps uh, we, we might have the total shutdown uh, participants or people who are more in line with this kind of organizing and who want to be in a, a group that is women only or in a group that uh, it aligns with uh, uh, who uh, we focus on in our advocacy. Whereas you might find another group that is mixed, you know, that is uh, a different group of people. And so we're open to um, meeting, partnering, really partnering, and partnering with people where we are and maintaining our outlines, our politics, and other people also maintaining their politics too. We're being strategic here. Okay, so just coming back, it's going to run over 16 days. So on this Thursday, we asked for our proposals to be to be sent. So, I mean, the whole day, you know, you have the whole day to think I have this idea. And again, it's, it's really about thinking quickly, working and, and doing something, being active. Um, on Saturday, we have our workshop. It is 9.30 for 10 and it will be until 1 o'clock at the South African State Theatre. And we uh, meet at the Opera Theatre. You tell can me use about, the Church Street entrance. Tell me about the workshop. What is that going to entail? Well, the workshop, based on the proposals and also our own outline, because Leading up to the total shutdown march, we did have some flash mobs as well. And so we would work with participants, uh, first of all, to work on the ideas that they have for flash mobs um, that they want to initiate in their local areas, but also to provide capacity building, as in this is how you can organize a flash mob. This is, uh, this is how you can structure it and people can show up on the day. You don't need to have people show up for rehearsals for four days or six days you can say oh today i actually have time and i can make it so uh, i have my lunch break now i'm going to go to shop to this flash mob and participate so how do we create these interventions that are accessible that are straightforward simple that people can just become involved in and then go about their day uh, find a way to participate that is meaningful for them is there a fee charged for the workshop no it is absolutely uh, free uh, we will also uh, pro- pro- provide provisions for refreshments as well and so it's free it's an activity invol- involving different kinds of people um, and you are welcome to participate in any capacity to come and join us uh, to learn to observe. Once again, question, if you're a man, you can go to this as well. The, yes, the South African uh, State Theatre is a partner and they have their own outline and certainly yes, you say, can. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so times from when this is going to run over the next 16 days, what time in the morning does it start to what time would it continue? Is there a set schedule happening? This is why the Saturday workshop is primarily is so important for us. Um, it is to see who we are working with, who is available, but also to establish a timeline and to establish dates. And so during this workshop, uh, we will establish uh, meeting points and dates throughout these 16 days uh, in Pretoria and if we have people from Mamalodi as well, there too. And so the RSVP uh, uh, to van den Berger or to Mamela is very important. It also helps us understand the numbers that we possibly have to work with. And so once we finish this workshop, we will release dates uh, where people can participate and we will still have open suggestion for dates. If you could not make the workshop, but you would like to do this and you have a date and you have some people, let us know and we can share the information on your behalf to galvanize people to join you on the day that you are going to activate. Something else I've got in my own mind, you mentioned flash mobs. So are this going to be all around the city? Is it just going to be around the state theater? All around the city. All around the city. Yes, it- Anywhere where you have a significant amount of foot traffic of people, you know, whether they're in uh, sitting on a 
piece of grass somewhere. The last flash mobs we did outside the Pretoria Hau train station as people left the station. We were out there doing our flash mob. Uh, also at uh, the mall in Mamelodi as well, we did flash mobs too. And so it's, it's really where you find a traffic, where you find people that you can reach, that you can communicate uh, these important messages to. And also no, w- with a flash mob in this case, you know, normally when we see videos of flash mobs, we go, oh, no, no, that's so cute. Oh, obviously there's a message that's going out with what you're doing here. Yes. And so art, you can use symbolic images or symbols, uh, shapes and patterns, singular words to help people understand something. Yes, what we're talking about is violent, but we also want to make sure not to situate ourselves consistently in a place of victimhood. We want to highlight violence. We want to also highlight that there are ways outside of this violence, that there are people who organize who are there to help you. There are women who are organizing. And so there is this kind of balance between uh, here are things that occur, but what else can we do outside of that beyond that? Otherwise, yes, we do end up in situations where we just highlight violence that the women experience. And sometimes you can re-traumatize audience members, participants, other women without giving them a chance to work through uh, how I can possibly begin to get out of the situation or context of violence. It's important to show people what happens, but it's also important to provide ways around what we experience, possible solutions. And that is also part of the workshop. What do we want to do? What kind of message do we want to bring across? Of course, uh, my body, not your crime scene, is very, very important. Mm. The fact that um, the personal is political, that these acts of violence are not just isolated incidents of domestic violence, of sexual assault, but that there are actually patterns of violence that not just occur in our country, but across the globe. And so it is a societal problem, not just a problem of that individual. So different kinds of messages around violence, how we should think about violence and the problematic ways in which we approach issues of violence. So just kind of coming back to contact details, anybody want to kind of take part in this? Just give it to our listeners again. Who do we kind of find? To email? RSVP that you will simply be attending the workshop, please contact Mamela, M-A-M-E-L-A, at statetheatre.co.za. That is also to send in proposals. If you have a particular idea, whether it's two sentences, a paragraph, and uh, you want to activate something in particular, please also email mamela at statetheatre.co.za. And if you want to be involved in the total shutdown side of things, then please uh, contact Kati van den Berge, K-A-T-T-Y, V dot V-A-N, D-E-N-B-E-R-G-H-E at gmail.com. And that is for the total shutdown side of things. And uh, so the RSVPs and the proposals, please uh, to send by Thursday. But if you RSVP on Friday again, that is fine. And if you haven't RSVP'd, it's important to galvanize people. So do show up on Saturday at the South African State Theatre. Use the Church Street entrance by the Opera Theatre. Um, it's the fourth floor Badinelli foyer, and we will also make sure that there is signage so, so people know where to go. It's 9.30 for 10, and we will carry on until 1 p.m. And there we will see the ideas we have and also organize the calendar for the activations. The 16 days of activism starts this Sunday, and we will have activations throughout this period. You can also look out on social media for the hashtag Hear me too and the hashtag 16 days. I will be using this to share information, dates, media and follow-ups, report backs from the field and from our activities. So when we get to State Theatre, somebody who's directionally challenged like me would be able to find my way around where you guys are inside? On either side of the State Theatre, on on the one side there is the cafe, the restaurant, the other side you have the 
primary entrance there the information will be quite easy to find but we will also ensure that in the foyer restaurant when people come in saying <laughs> i'm looking for the total shutdown workshop to assist them as well we will uh put up i think a poster will be good to remind people and let them know where to go or what to ask when they do ask for directions then of course we you don't just want individuals only to be involved it's open to npos ngos anything like that Yes, NGOs, non-government organizations, uh, media houses, uh, civil society members, uh, whether you're involved in any kind of art, students, anyone who's, who does work on violence against women, on gender-based violence, this workshop is for you. It is a totally open call for participation across various sectors, um, across various fields of expertise, and just uh, for anyone, any person who's interested in being involved, it is for you. So we do welcome other uh, stakeholders in, in Pretoria and other parts of the country. Kellen Boeta from Iranti told us all about transgender rights with uh, the light on Transgender Awareness Day that was on Tuesday. Okay, so Radio Where You Are family, I'm Rian and I am talking to Kellen Boeta, the writer and social media guru at Iranti. Kellen, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, glad to be talking to you. Kellen, uh, Kellen, Transgender Day of Remembrance is happening like soon, soon. Yes, yes, on the 20th of November. How far do you think we've come with trans rights in South Africa? In South Africa, I think we've come incredibly far with trans rights, given that maybe less than a generation ago, under apartheid-era laws, much of the LGBT community was very heavily suppressed. Uh, today, trans people have the ability to legally change our name and our gender marker. We've got ever-increasing access to, to health care and increasing sensitivity from doctors, nurses, and other healthcare providers about what trans people need um, in terms of healthcare. But we've still got a very long way to go. So saying that we've come very far is not, I think, saying the same as things are where they should be. Uh, there's a lot of progress that we need to make because while trans people have really great protections in this country on paper, uh, it's often a different story in reality. I was uh, transgender people. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask. On paper, everything's everything looks like pretty, pretty beautiful. Mm. But when it comes to by the sounds of it, when it comes to the implementation of that rights, it doesn't happen. Mm. Yeah, issues. There's um, implementation is not where it should be, and then the rights themselves um, are perhaps not where a lot of trans people want them to be. Uh, the need to have multiple letters from doctors to say that you have, you know, started to medically transition in order to get home affairs to take seriously your application for a gender market change. That is the law requires you to get these very pathologizing, very medical permissions. And essentially says you don't know yourself. Uh, uh, so that is something that many trans people still look to change. But compared to many other countries, what we do have in the law is very progressive. But then, like you said, uh, implementation of those laws is is also highly lacking. Uh, many trans people, particularly poor black trans women living maybe more in rural areas and more isolated communities, they are often seen as, um, you know, uh, gay men. And, and they themselves might see themselves as gay men because they don't have the language 
to define themselves as anything else. Um, and many trans people, poor trans people, trans women, trans feminine people uh, face huge levels of discrimination and violence. Um, shaming and harassment is common in the workplace if they can get work in the first place, as well as in the public sphere, in clinics and hospitals. Uh, medical care itself is often unattainable because in the private sector, it, the high cost limits who can access hormone therapy or surgeries for those who want that. Uh, whereas in the public sector, um, maybe high levels of, of, of ignorance on the part of medical professionals uh, means that many trans people are turned away. Home affairs as well is another place where even though the law might be in our favor, ignorance on the part of home affairs officials or, or bigotry and hate on the part of home affairs officials means that it's not easy for us to update our documents either. Um, Iranti a few years ago documented the case of a trans woman who had to go on a hunger strike to make home affairs update her documents. And until recently, the Department of Home Affairs took it upon themselves to divorce married couples without their knowledge or consent so, so that one could legally change their gender marker. So there's no... Now, if, it's, if, if they are in, in, seen in the eyes of the law as a straight couple and one of them transitions and changes their gender marker, in order to avoid having a same-sex couple now, Home Affairs would divorce them without their knowledge. And that, until very recently, was apparently legal. Um, but luckily, that has been changed as well. Then, by the sounds of it, there seems to be a lack of education and a lack of kind of awareness that goes hand in hand with this. Mm. No, that is true. Um, I think that is true on the part of civil servants who are there to, and, and that could be anything from you know, home affairs or a licensing department official to a more conservative minister or two in the government, to the police that patrol our streets. Sort of that lack of awareness um, means that those who are tasked with upholding our rights and protecting us um, are not always willing or able to do so. And then likewise, in a lot of communities, especially poorer communities, more marginalized, historically disadvantaged communities in rural areas where they might not have the same access to information that, that we do in the big city uh, with easy access to literature and, and internet and, and uh, voices from the global trans community, there is also in ignorance and there is also an increased risk of violence. You're talking about violence, um, and that's something we see quite regularly, unfortunately, or too, too many of those still happen in South Africa. Do you have a statistic available on transgender attacks in the country? Uh, specific statistics are very difficult to come by, unfortunately, uh, in South Africa and uh, more broadly in Africa as well. Um, it It... There's an organization called uh, the Trans Murder Monitoring Project. And every year they, they update their database on how many trans people have been murdered in the preceding year. And it is a very important resource. It's a very vital resource um, because it lets us sort of different laws 
and legislation says in different countries. It lets us keep, keep track of these sort of things. But in the case of South Africa and the rest of the continent, it's not a very accurate tool. Um, and that is largely because we don't have the level of reporting that is needed. Iranti has, has, has a, quite a large number of hate trans people against lesbians, against uh, gay men. Um, and this year alone, in one province alone, the Northwest province, we have seen two murders of two trans women. Uh, the names were Kahiso Maema and Gugu Modise. That's shocking. And that, that's one province. That's one province in one year. Um, and in January and end of December last year, there was another spike uh, of, of attacks against various trans people and a lot of uh, lesbians in more rural communities. For various reasons, numbers, hard numbers about what the national statistics say are hard to come by. Uh, so the Trans Murder Monitoring Project says since 2008, six trans people have been murdered in South Africa. And we know for a fact, just from Iranti's own records, that it has been more than that since 2008. Um, on average, we see attacks, uh, either violence or outright murder of trans women in South Africa likely exceeds four or five per year. Um, but hard statistics are hard to come by because, for one, um, victims might not want to report to the police or report to the government or to other organizations because often it is places like the police that perpetrate violence. And we see this as well in cisgender women who are the victims of gender-based violence. We see this in gay men who might uh, also be, be targeted. Going to the police who are themselves often known to be transphobic and homophobic and sexist and patriarchal People, people are not always comfortable doing that. And then as well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of trans women in this country don't have the language to articulate or understand themselves as different from being gay. And nor do their communities and nor do the police who might record uh, these incidents. So we know there's a wide range of, uh, a, a wide number of attacks against LGBTI people. But how many of those specifically are trans women is, is, is difficult to identify. Likewise, lesbians um, or rather trans men might be seen as lesbian by the communities and they might even identify as lesbian themselves, but wouldn't otherwise uh, if they had the language to articulate that in a different way, but they would get attacked and be listed as lesbian in, in the statistics. So the broad overlap in the identities and that means that Finding specific statistics uh, can be difficult. So in the light of all of this, um, you, Transgender and Intersex Africa is organizing a Transgender Day of Remembrance event tomorrow. Can you tell me more about that event? Yeah, we don't just want to mourn the loved ones that we've lost. I think every trans person, every activist, every LGBT person um, has lost because of homophobia, transphobia, gender-based violence. And it's important to step back and remember them and, and, and honor those we've lost. But we also want to celebrate life and everything that we've accomplished because we have come far. So we want to use Trans Day of Remembrance on the 20th of November to 
show our resilience um, and show that, you know, we won't be erased no matter how much some people may try. So we will be hosting the event, um, TIA uh, and Iranti, uh, at 87 De Corte Street, uh, which is in Bramfontein. Uh, that's where our offices are located. And we're going to use that to not only look back at, you know, everyone we've lost, everything we've struggled with in the past, but look forward to the future. As for what is actually going to happen on the day, uh, we're hoping that it will be semi-informal. We want people to have a space to come together, to speak with one another, to connect with each other in the community, and to tell their stories, to share knowledge, and just to be there to support one another. Uh, we'll have poetry sessions throughout the day and some music by one of Iranti's favorite queer artists, Umlilo. Several, um, you know, opportunities for, for people to talk who've come from a wide range of backgrounds. We have, um, you know, this platform as Iranti to, to let people's voices be heard. And that's what we want on the day. So it's free to enter. Uh, everyone is welcome to come and mingle, not just trans people, but friends, family, allies, anyone who is willing to come and support us in what is ostensibly a, a day of mourning is more than welcome to join, to, to mingle, to eat some snacks, and to listen to some beautiful music and poetry. Internationally, historically-wise, how did Trans Day of Remembrance come about? When was it started and what was the, what's the idea behind it? So Trans Day of Remembrance started in 1999 in the United States. The previous year, in 1998, a black trans woman in Massachusetts in the United States by the name of Rita Hester was murdered. Um, so then the following year, in 1998, there was a small commemoration for her. And over the years, that spread uh, to commemorate the passing of Rita and other trans women who were also taken in the years that followed. So it spread throughout the United States. It spread throughout the Americas to Europe and across the world and has grown into one of the most important days um, for the trans community uh, of the year. So my next question that I have is, you know, we, we sort of always kind of look at when we talk about trans rights, what the trans community can do to help the trans community. But I think it's also time that we start looking at what can allies do? What can and what, what should an ally do to get involved and help create awareness? I think there's a lot that transgender allies can do to smaller things rather than like the big grand gestures that mean the most. From personal experience, I know a lot of people who are very vocal as allies who, when the going gets tough, they, they disappear, they fade away. So being there for your trans friends, family, community, but like earnestly being there and showing up for them, maybe not just in the gender related things, but if they're struggling with something else, you know, being trans makes it, it that much harder if you are depressed, if you struggle with anxiety if you are looking for a job all of these things and even if it might not inherently be like that so just be there to support your trans friends family and community so you've got a trans person in your life that you are an ally to you know just continue to love and support them 
challenge them when they talk about their experiences and their fears and their anxieties. So don't try and decide for them who they are or who they, you know, ought to be. Don't try and decide for them what they should be feeling or how they should deal with something. Just listen to them and believe them and be there for them. I think that's what a lot of trans people want more than, you know, any great hero to come and save them. And if you're in a space where, you know, there's no trans person around, but the people around you are saying, you know, very offensive things or making uh, transphobic jokes, stand up to them. The fact that there's no trans person there to see you doesn't mean that what they're saying is is not offensive or hurtful. And so this is your chance to to really stand up and say that that kind of language is, is not acceptable. So, you know, tell them about the violence. Tell them that, you know, it's it's it is the same thing with um, people making racist jokes or sexist jokes. Even if the person you might want to defend is not there, um, it doesn't mean that you can hold your tongue and let the people around you inadvertently think that you agree with those kinds of statements. Oh, and then and then sort of just lastly, I think an important an important thing that a lot of allies can do is trans people don't often get the chance, I think, to to tell our stories, to advocate for our own rights. Um, and that is changing. Iranti is a media advocacy organization. Our goal is to tell LGBT stories for and by LGBT people. And sometimes cisgender people, straight people, well-meaning allies will talk over us because they are the ally and they are there to stand up for us. But sometimes it, we appreciate giving us the space to tell our own stories when the chance arises, giving us the space to speak for ourselves. And I think that is a good ally. That is someone who knows how to lift up the community that they want to support rather than speak for the community that they want to support. So I, I basically go with what you just said. I think, from my side, and I could be wrong, could summarize it up and forwards, be a true friend. Be a true friend, yes. That's what it's all about. Mm. Be a true friend. Don't don't try and be an ally, you know, L-I-T-M, you know. Be, just be good, I think. Be a friend. Should any transgender person listening at the moment find themselves at risk of being attacked or being harmed or anything like that, where do they reach out to? So. There are many places that trans people can go and reach out to if they find themselves at risk, but it depends on exactly what they're dealing with. Um, is it a more generalized uh, thing or is it, you know, they're in harm's way right this second and they urgently need help? So, so it, does, it does differ depending on the situation. Ideally, various uh, shelters crisis counseling centers, psychological centers, centers, clinics, and the police are there to help anyone in need, including trans people. So that should always be an option, but often places like the police, clinics, uh, homeless shelters are a source of violence for trans people and a source of discrimination for trans people. When the places that are supposed to help you are sometimes the very ones that are putting you in danger, then sometimes it can feel a little bit hopeless. You don't know where to go. Um, the South African law protects trans people. And for that reason, places like the Human Rights Commission, 
And South Africa's many equality courts, which are located all across the country, uh, can help. But again, this is maybe something that takes time. Uh, they work on thousands of cases from thousands of different people in thousands of different contexts all year. And so that can also feel a bit hopeless when you're in the system. But those are places where you can go and have your rights defended as per the South African constitution. And then finally, what I believe to be the best option is your community. You know, if your family accepts you or if your friends accept you and support you, go to them, contact them, ask for support from them and help from them. If you can, reach out to other LGBT people in your area because you're stronger together. And this is why organizations are so important. There are many organizations around the country. Iranti is only one of them that are also here to help. So if you can reach out to Iranti or in Cape Town to Gender Dynamics, uh, organizations like Gay Umbrella in the Northwest Province and countless others, they can potentially help you or steer you in the right direction on how to get the assistance that you need. So if you're in Gauteng, you're always more than welcome to reach out to Iranti. We are primarily a media advocacy organization, but we always do everything we can to help out as much as possible uh, on the ground uh, whenever someone in need comes through to us. So my email is kellen at iranti.org.za. That's K-E-L-L-Y-N at iranti.org.za. Uh, and our office number is 011-339-1476. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So if someone needs to contact us, even if they're in, in another province, then we can maybe try and point them towards someone in that area who can who can help them. Gillian, so then just in conclusion to all of this, if anybody wants more information about tomorrow night's event, they can also contact you on the same details. Yes, the same details. So K E L L Y N at iranti.org.za was 011 339 1476, as well as Facebook and Instagram. So you can, you know, uh, contact me, contact our office for more information about uh, our Trans Day Remembrance event. It's at our offices. It starts at, uh, it's at, uh, so it starts at 6.30, so it's a 6 for 6.30 event, and it'll go on to about 8.30 here in our offices at 87 Decorta Street, Bramfontein. So that's at South Point Corner. Great. Kellen, thank you so much for your time. You're more than welcome. Gaysa Radio, with your family, I'm Rion, and it was Kellen Bwitta from Iranti speaking to us about a trance Day of Remembrance happening in Bramfontein tomorrow. Our relationship and business coach Paula Quincy spoke to us all about relationships. Gaysa Radio with your family. I'm Rian and we are talking to a Paula Quincy, life coach, relationship expert, author, and so much more. And we're talking about relationships today. Yes. Yes. Do, do you consider yourself more of a life coach or a therapist? A life coach. So therapists are traditionally considered um, people that have a clinical training, so psychologists and psychiatrists. In the heteronormative workplaces, are the efforts from the LGBTQ plus employees appreciated like everyone else's? And if they're not, why? So I think potentially 
if you're not aware that the person falls into the LGBTQI sector, it's not really a big issue. If you can, if you can see that this person falls into that sector, okay, potentially some sort of discrimination or some sort of judgment can take place. And again, I think it's purely ignorant bliss in that because you don't necessarily understand that person in the world that they live in, you're potentially putting up some walls or some projections of your own. And that can cause some conflict when it comes to managing that kind of relationship in the workplace. How can we make sure there is always safe treatment among colleagues, um, irrespective of gender roles or sexual orientation? So I think we need to stop using the labels that we traditionally use and that society wants us to use. Um, and we need to start treating people as human beings, first and foremost. You know, it doesn't matter what sexual identity you have or sexual orientation you have. At the end of the day, you are a human being and you have qualities and strengths and insights that I potentially don't have. And I can learn from you just as much as you can learn from me. That doesn't make you better than me or any of those things. So I think if you could go in with an attitude of being curious, being open and being willing to engage, that's the first step. What challenging work dynamics do people normally face? Potentially um, what I have experienced in some of the work that I, that I do with corporates is the, the person that is being employed doesn't necessarily have the required behavioral competencies for the role that they are being employed or recruited for. For example, in this one environment, company ABC, this person was a top salesperson. They achieved all their targets. They were top performer, given bonuses, incentives, and they performed. Because they were the top salesperson there, company XYZ is looking to recruit them because they are looking for a dynamic salesperson. So they recruit this person and two, three months down the line, they now start wanting to performance manage this person because they're not behaving, they're not performing. And that's because we often hire for skill, but we fire for behavior. Okay. What we don't understand or what we fail to look for is what is the behavior that we require for this role? So taking the salesperson in their environment where they were the top performer, potentially they were being given qualified leads the product or the service that they were selling was not technical. And they were in an environment that was supported and structured. We now move them into this environment where they're being expected to perform, but they are given no leads. They have to cold call. It's a technical product or service, and there's no support given. And that's why this person is not thriving in this role. So it doesn't make it a bad person. doesn't make it a bad person. We need to look at skill is different to behavior. Generally, we look at skills and we hire for skill and we look at it as what qualifications do you have? What companies have you worked at? What experience do you have and what have been your achievements? And then we go, great, you're the perfect person that we're looking for. But we don't look at their behavioral competencies and do they have the behaviors that we're looking for in the role? How can colleagues, colleagues work on having healthier and better relationships in the workspace? So... In all relationships, 90% of the problems in relationships is due to the lack of communication. And when we don't have communication, real communication, we start assuming, presuming, projecting, putting our own ideas in place. And that often creates misunderstandings and miscommunications and conflict. 
emotional problems and issues, can that have an impact on your work performance? Absolutely. If someone is going through a divorce, for example, it will affect their performance in the workplace because they are in an emotional turmoil. So emotion plays a large role. In fact, it's key to all of our relationships and the environments we find ourselves in because our emotions will underpin our behavior. So what we're experiencing, what we're going through, will be portrayed in our actions and our behavior. And it's that sort of feelings behavior thing coming out again. Absolutely. And it's just so important. And people say that cliche actions speak louder than words. Sometimes people will be saying one thing to you, but their behavior will be showing you something completely different. So look, don't just listen. (laughs) Do you think people in general have unrealistically high expectations from people they have relationships with, whether it's personally or professionally? They are. So when I work with individuals, for example, uh, particularly single people who feel that they can't find a relationship or the perfect person, Essentially because their expectations or their shopping list, as I call it, is way too high and way too long. In other words, they've got very high standards and no one will ever match up to them because they're unrealistic. Now, I'm not saying don't have expectations or standards. I'm saying have realistic standards because there is no such thing out there as the perfect person or the perfect relationship. It's how perfect can you be for each other? Wow, that's, I think, very, very hard, harsh words there. <laughs> Paula, for more information about book purchases, because I said you're an author and uh, contact details, how can listeners get in touch? So you can find my website, paulaquincy.com, and I'm on all the social media channels, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. Just search Paula Quincy. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Radio Where You Are family, I'm Rion, and that was a relationship uh, expert and a life coach, Paula Quincy, talking to us about relationships. And Solutionsmith Jason Fiddler told us what it takes to run your own online shop. Okay, so Radio Where You Are family, I'm Rion, and today our Solutionsmith Jason Fiddler is talking to us about online stores. How do you go about starting up an online store? Research again. Go back to your um, to your business plan, to your idea. Is this ideal for what you need to do? And also, um, don't think that you can do it cheaply. Or whilst you can do an online store inexpensively, think to yourself: If I had to do a brick and mortar shop, how would this look, and where would it be situated? Because the same argument is applicable to online e-commerce which means that uh, you can decide that you can have a really zhuzh uh, um, online store or you can have something that's pure and simple, rudimentary, just does the job. Now you've decided to have your online store, you've got your website and it's all looking very pretty, pretty, pretty. What would the best payment way be? To- well, there's multiple payments. Obviously, um, online credit card payments is, 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 is the, the, the obvious payment platform for um, e-commerce websites and this place this this places like um, paypal that you can you can use um, sometimes the design of the uh, e-commerce website includes a, a form of payment platform in south africa uh, SagePay um, has turned out to be very very effective and the integration of e-commerce is very effective there because it also melds quite nicely with your pastel uh, accounting software. Okay. So SagePay is very good. And um, there's also other great um, new innovations like, for example, Zappa and SnapScan, where it's a QR code and the person then just, you know, chooses to uh, snap 
the code on the screen and they, they just choose an amount and they enter it and they send the transaction. So you can have very simple transactions facilitated through something like a snap scan. You don't have to have uh, a credit card facility anymore like they used to in the days of the past. Um, it's, this is really, you know, we, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago about having an accountant. This is where having an accountant is really useful because they can also tell you about the hidden costs of transacting online and um, hidden bank fees and things like that. It might be that your volume of turnover doesn't justify a certain platform, um, whereas another platform, it's absolutely essential. Customer service. How does that kind of vary I'm from having an I'm glad you raised that because people presume that because it's an online store, there's no need for that. And in fact, there is a need. So there's been an innovation called chatbots, little artificial intelligence pop-up chat screens on the website. Um, and what will happen is often they're driven by two things, um, a degree of artificial intelligence where the uh, customer will then enter in a question and the artificial intelligence says, well, you're asking from a common set of um, keywords, I'm going to give you a standard answer. It certainly helps the um, individual customer uh, feel like the, their, their need is being attended to and will probably have to escalate whether it's a complaint or a specific query through to a physical human being who will chase that up for them. But it certainly allows, it gives you an element of immediate answer to the customer's needs. And whether it's a complaint or a compliment, and believe you me, it's always more a complaint than you'll ever get a compliment. You have to be ready to hop, skip, and jump to that customer's needs. You have certain obligations under law. In South Africa, we've got the Consumer Protection Act. All of these things place the burden of responsibility on you. Just because you don't have a physical shop does not divorce you of those responsibilities. How do you determine your shipping costs? So uh, how, long is a pe- how long is a piece of string real? You know, you have to think to yourself, if you are sending out an item, you may want to use an established distribution channel. Uh, it could be a career company, what have you. You've obviously got to negotiate better rates because you don't want to be spending every unit uh, or that you're shipping out can be so expensive. In, you know, in some cases, somebody might buy, uh, let's say, something to the value of 100 rand, but the shipping cost is another 150 on top of that. Who's got to pay for that? The customer or you? So you've got to think about what this cost is going to be because you have to build it into your price to the customer. So the customer's then got to pay 250 Rand for that unit, not 100 Rand. So your pricing strategy really has to depend, be dependent on um, the type of item and where it's got to go to. Fortunately, today, we've got very, very sophisticated distribution channels available to you as, a, as an online shop. And Amazon has certainly taught a lot of people about things. So maybe a good idea for somebody who wants to start an e-commerce type website or business is to start looking at the YouTube videos telling you about how Amazon operates and other e-commerce websites. Listen to both the pros and cons and hear tips from people directly and indirectly about how they've made a success in the business. Then take that advice and apply it to what you're going to do. Some of the best ways to attract people to your online shop? Marketing, marketing, marketing. So. You can do, and I like the idea of a mix, a blended media strategy, a blended strategy of marketing. So you've got traditional marketing. You might be, let's say, at Pride, and you're handing out flyers because you want people to buy your gay goodies online. Or you might be um, hitting up with adverts and things like Gumtree or classified adverts. 
Um, certainly you can do Google advertising, very successful um, mechanism, Google and Bing, because remember there's, there's more than one search engine yeah. out there. So if you're going to do a strategy, I would look at Google, Bing, and probably Yahoo as well. Um, it is a mix between what you can afford and what you'd like to, to do as well. And, and this is where terrific platforms like Instagram become very useful. Um, with e-commerce, you're selling something on the basis of what it looks like. The customer can't touch it, feel it, uh, feel its weight, nothing like that. So if you have a great product photograph and you can do it in a little square one-to-one ratio image, then you've got a great platform to do it. An Instagram post, a Facebook post, even a tweet. Now, with the right kind of hashtags, you can get people's interests. And with a little bit of money spent, you can promote that post to people who are interested in things like that. And invariably, that will help your sales. Pitfalls. Pitfalls. Um, it's very technical. There's a lot of money that goes into developing e-commerce websites. People can say, oh, I can have an e-commerce website in five minutes. Well, yes, there are platforms that are free that allow you to do that. But there's still a great deal under the hood, a lot of technicality that you need to be very familiar with in terms of managing. I, I like to say to clients as a solution smith that we look at custom uh, website, e-commerce websites, where they're specifically designed for that customer's needs. And I say to them, look, you know, think about, you know, if you're selling fashion, for example, would this garment do well being sold in a shop next to the corner cafe in a small suburban strip mall type thing? Are people going to spend that kind of money? No. But if you put it in a big mall and you make a beautiful shop and it's a great experience, do you not think the customer's going to want to come? So the same logic applied to your e-commerce store. If it's online and it's beautiful and it's sophisticated and it's easy to navigate um, and it's easy to purchase through. In other words, the person looking at it says, this is comparable to the most sophisticated websites out there. Um, There are very good platforms that we work with that make it affordable. Granted, it will be tens of thousands of rands to make. But you know what? If you're running a small business, you better be prepared to spend some money. Not everything could be done for the cheap. That's the last thing that I wanted to ask you about this. This is once again the same as websites. Don't try and do it on your own if you don't have a clue. Really don't. Really, really don't. Because having, having somebody who has some technical expertise to advise you is healthy. But don't be so dependent on that person's advice that you don't potentially have the wool pulled over your eyes. So like everything else, use your common sense. The same thing you'll do with a bank manager, a business partner, an accountant, the person building your website. If it sounds too good to be true, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, so Radio, you are family. Our solutionsmith, Jason Fiddler, they're talking to us about having an online shop.